and sisters, friends and comrades, this is the PRC Show. I am your host, Paul Cooley, and thank you for listening. We have a great show today. Uh, today, our guest is Erin Kramer. She's uh, one of the smartest people I know. She's, uh, we have a very fascinating conversation about a particular film, um, and we have a similar family background that we're going to explore. It's a good conversation, so stick around. Um, it is currently 54 degrees in Harrisburg, and it is like a monsoon out. Um, it's 81 degrees in Fort Worth, Texas, and I don't think it's raining at all, actually. Um, so I just, before we get on to the show, you know, I mentioned on the show last time that the Pirates were doing well in the playoffs, and um, I don't want to get choked up here, but it might happen. So they lost, I don't know when you're listening to this, it could be 2015, but here's the deal. 20 years, they made it to the playoffs, you know, um, and Aaron, you uh, live in Pittsburgh, right? I do. Did you, uh, did you feel, was there a, an electricity in the city when you were there? It was it was great. I actually listened to sports radio for the first time. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. I um I went to the game on Sunday with the game three, um, the Pirates won against the St. Louis Cardinals. It was I had a wonderful time with uh, my friend Troy, and um they lost last night. And here's here's the the God's honest truth. All I wanted them to do was get into the playoffs, not the wild card. That's not real playoffs, in my opinion. I wanted them to get into the playoffs and not get swept. They won two games. So I am not actually... And I think a lot of um, Pirate fans are kind of feel this way. After 20 years, all you want is a winning season. They won 94 games. They came in second place. They won the wild card. They got into the playoffs. And there's honestly hope that we're still going to be a good team. So... um, and, I, you know, th- to be honest with you, I was talking to my friend Troy about this, and um, it, it was a lot of stress watching these games. I mean, I had to sh- everything shut down. I was trying to do schoolwork. I'm even getting choked up now thinking about it. There is clearly something wrong with me. And Can I just say, this, yeah. is, this is the Paul I remember when the Steelers were winning again. And I hate the Steelers now. And They're 0-4. The quarterback's a rapist. I, could get, I, could, I, don't, I don't care at all. And I love the fact that the Steelers, um, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I love the fact that the Steelers um, are doing poorly when the Pirates are doing but great. But I, I don't think this is about any particular team for you. I think this may be about the city. This may be about Pittsburgh for you. You know what? And I, that's a good point because when the Steelers were doing well, I lived in Ohio. And, um, th- well, it, actually, there's another component of this. And we're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, um, I think our fathers in a little bit, but with the Steelers and with sports in general, um, me and my mother, who's deceased, we always had this connection with, she would always, she actually got me into baseball. I mean, my, my dad did too, but in football. So when my mom was alive, we would always talk on the phone about the Steeler game. And when I was younger, she would always like have the, the Pirates playing and stuff like that. So I think that's a component, but good point about the city. I now live in Harrisburg and I'll tell you what, this, this baseball team helped me out, move into this city. I watched just about every single game. I wasn't there, and, you know, there's not, I don't really have any friends here yet. I have a couple friends. I mean, you guys all know who you are. Um, no offense. But, uh, yeah, I, I, maybe it is the city. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think there is something wrong with the, f- the level of fandom that I, I, I said to my friend Troy, I said, do you think it would be too much to go out to the airport when the, the Pirates are coming home and, like, thank them for a good season? And he said, yeah, that's a bit much, Paul. And yeah. I said, yeah, well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not even there, but that is weird. I you mean, thought th- about that. 
I thought, like, as an act, if I was there, here's what I thought. I played out a scenario in my head. I would never do that unless I had some friend that was more zany than me and was a fan. It was like, hey, we're just going to go out there. I'd be like, you know what? Yeah, I'd do that. What if they won the pennant? Would you do it? Well, I would go to, like, a thing. Um, like a parade. I don't even know if I would do that because... To me, it's like the fact that they lost. I just want to be like, guys, thank you for this season. Mm. That that's almost like, I um, I don't have to, t- you know, I have some stories I could tell you at some like other. Like you point. owe it to them. Uh, the first month here, I was unemployed. I listened to every single game. I was drinking a lot of beers. Um, I was like putting stuff up. I, I was actually drilling into my wall at one point, um, hanging up some of my guitars. And I remember this one particular game. I uh, shrieked and screamed out. My wife came up here. She thought I drilled into my knee or my head or something like that. And I was so elated with joy because Sterling Marte had a game-winning home run. It was a everyone knows this game now is when the Pirates came came back and uh, beat the Reds uh, ten to ten to seven. But it was an amazing game. I mean, what's wrong with me? I was at that game. You are kidding me. No, I went to that game. I went to that game with Bros. The ten to seven. Yeah. McHenry hit. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I have never, I do not believe in God. I'm saying that here, but now I'm starting to think the cosmic forces. You, we are talking about this right now. Are you, you're making took, this up. No, no, no. I took Rose to three games this year. I took her to that one because she talks about it. That, she always talks about Cincinnati that as was the game one of the, that we want to we beat. That was one of the best games. You, uh, it was Henry, a good game. The catcher hit two home runs. Yeah. Marte, I, my wife came in here and she's uh, almost, has my, she's very jumpy um, sometimes. And, uh, I was had a lot of beers that day. Man, wow. Well, I don't want to spend, but I do think there's something wrong with me. Like, my one friend, Josh, says, people love sports, that's how they are. But it is, you know, you know, I'm an adult, I need to move. I can't be acting this way. So it's almost a good thing that they lost because I don't know if I could have handled the next uh, three weeks. And like I said, I used to be into the Steelers. That's, uh, you know, but uh, any closing thoughts? No, go Bucks. Yeah, I know. Let's do it I, again. Yeah, let's do it again. Um, okay, uh, as uh, all weeks, we have sponsors. Uh, how do I say this? Um, our sponsor is all the books that I own but I haven't read. And this week, our sponsor is... What's My Name, Fool? Sports and Resistance in the United States. Uh, Chuck D. from Public Enemy. Says Who wrote the book? Oh, I'm sorry. It's written by Dave Zirin. Okay, yeah. Uh, Chuck D. from Public Enemy says about this one that it's it beautifully illustrates the connection between sports struggle politics and resistance you ever read this one no i i haven't read this that's why it's a sponsor um i uh have you read it no i've never no never it, seen that book. you know what it's a um it's like a lefty uh author i think he writes for the nation dave zarin um that's published by a trotsky like publisher um, but it's a, you know, I'm sure it's uh, fascinating, you know, but it, he's going to crowbar in his lefty views in there, which, hey, I think we need more of that. Um, I think it's going to be preaching to the choir, but I'm going to read that at some time, uh, at some point. I mean, it, uh, I think it looks easy to read, you know. Um, okay, so uh, that's our show. Uh, that's our sponsor, and uh, on to the show. <laughs> Today our guest is Erin Kramer, formerly Erin Conley, um, and she's been a friend of mine for 10 years, 8 years, something like that, I don't know. Anyways, I've uh, worked with Erin in Ohio, we don't need to get on to that, but here's the thing me and Erin have in common. 
um, both of our parents, our fathers, were in law enforcement. Would you say your dad did law enforcement? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so right. my dad was a um, Allegheny County detective for nearly 30 years. Um, so he wore like a suit and tie to work. He had like a police car or whatever. Um, I remember when I was in kindergarten, like he came and did a thing about like what a police officer does sort of thing. And then he also did like a thing about don't let people molest you and stuff like that and go to the cops. Um, and he brought in his like little powder to like show our fingerprints, which is kind of cool. And um, he, uh, my dad's very easygoing, very pretty laid back guy, you know, a quirky sense of humor, which I think that's where I get it from. But um, he retired pretty early. And uh, he, um, he tells me that as I got more political in college and stuff, his way of relating to me or trying to, uh, I don't know, relate, he said was one of the reasons he got into law enforcement was when the police officers were beating the heck out of the uh, 1968 Democrat convention, people riding outside of that you know, outside the Democratic National Convention, that he thought he that's not something he would do, and that was dishonorable to police. Like, they shouldn't be doing that, and he would be a good type of cop. Truthfully, and if my dad's listening, the reason why he became a police officer is all his, his brother and all his uncles were firefighters, and he took the firefighter test and the police officer test. And the police officer test, uh, I think they called him first. So, um, But anyways, my dad's a sweetheart. He's the nicest guy in the world. So, whatever. Um, now, your father was not a police officer, though. Or did he do... Right. So how does that work? So my dad was a Marine. Marine, uh, okay. For 12 years. And then left the Marines because they were going to send him to Japan for six months without us. Oh, okay. Oh, you, so you so. knew your dad. You, he had you... Like, you were a child when he was still in the Marines. Mm-hmm. That's right. Oh, wow. Okay. So we lived on base until I was about seven. And where was that at? All over. Pretty much all over. Uh, I was born in Alabama. We lived in... I mean, you don't have an accent. Well, you lose it real quick. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're young, too, I guess. And it, in middle school, you just want to kind of blend in. Can you... Oh, so. uh, uh, yeah. So you were there till you were... Se- how old? Seven. And then you went to where? Then we moved to Florida. Uh, we lived in uh, Daytona Beach, Florida. My father joined the FBI. You're the oldest of the... F- I'm in the middle. I'm I'm the only girl. I'm in the middle. He has a... What other... I have two brothers. Oh. One older and one younger. Okay, okay. Yeah. So then you move there. You push that. There's a cat sometimes that interrupts the show, and it's you just okay. push them out. Um, and uh, how long were you in Florida, though? So we were in Florida four years, um, four or five years. Four or five years. Those sound like two terrible places. I would never want to live in Florida or Alabama. Daytona was great. I remember, so it was like the 80s in Daytona, late 80s in Daytona. Oh, and that was that show. And uh, it was, there stuff. was a lot of like Axl Rose, a lot of... Um, Spring break. I remember th- asking my parents, why are they falling off the balconies? That seems stupid. Oh, that's funny. And, uh, you know, just it was a very strange place to be as a as a non-adult. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you were around that like. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Wow. Hypercolored T-shirts. Yeah. My third grade teacher wore mood lipstick, you know. So you go to um, Dad's a Marine to Daytona to where? Well, Dad was a Marine until we moved to Daytona. In Daytona, he was in the FBI, and he actually worked bank robberies. So he did a lot of what oh, your okay. what your yeah. dad did, right? Drove the big Buick with the lights and oh, okay, uh, or maybe a Lincoln. I don't know. It was it yeah. Was my dad huge. didn't do murders. 
That was the only thing he didn't do because homicide required that you did like a lot more um, uh, night turn and stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, he just did like robberies, rapes, burglaries. Mm-hmm. Like he did like the sexual abuse stuff. Like it wasn't split up into two different things. So he did that and like crimes and stuff yeah. like that. Assaults, a lot of assaults. I think some drug stuff too. But So my father strictly did bank robberies in Daytona. Um, and then we moved, he got stationed to Detroit. So your first office in FBI, you do whatever. Yeah. uh, And then you get to choose from like the field offices that nobody wants to go to. So you can choose Puerto Rico, New York, Newark, L.A., Detroit, something else. Right. So Detroit seemed like the. And this is like 91 or something like that? Yeah, all right, uh, 92, 93, somewhere in there. And he wanted to go to Detroit. Seemed like the most livable of the... In 92, that's interesting. Yeah, so moved to Detroit. And he's from New York, right, or something? He's from, yeah, New York, Long Island, Brooklyn, yeah. Does he regret that decision going to Detroit, you think? Or what? He he probably has strong opinions about Detroit now. He does. He has very strong opinions about Detroit now. And what he worked there was the... um, the uh, Violent Crimes Task Force Unit in Detroit. It's we not d- like Detroit was like a thriving metropolis, though. I mean, there was no. s- yeah. that was uh, 20 Coleman years Young, ago. Coleman Young was the mayor yeah. at the time. Um, and he ruined that city, right? Is what people say, or I don't know. Yeah, it's really hard to tell. I think that that city, there's a lot in the design of that city that doesn't uh, Oh yeah, I mean, it's, that doesn't it's work when it starts emptying oh, out. Oh, right. Yeah, right? No, the, so the mayor cannot be a savior or a, to blame for anything. It's a there. city that's built around the single family home and everybody's got a car. And yeah. Then oh, yeah, yeah. When you lose density, it just becomes, you know. Yeah. Yeah, like a... It's like the apocalypse now yeah. in a lot of places yeah. there. Yeah. So, so you were living in a Detroit suburb? Right. We were living... Well, we were living pretty far outside of Detroit. Um, we were living in Canton, Michigan, which is about halfway between Detroit and Ann Arbor. Oh, okay. Yeah. So a real bedroom community. Yeah, um, yeah, like yeah. There were a couple Ford plants around. I remember my yeah. friend's dad's worked there. But if you go to Detroit, like you're going to like a Tigers game or something, it's not like a big thing. It's like you're driving 45 minutes or a half hour. It's about an hour. Hour. About okay. an hour with no traffic. Okay. Um, and we did not really go. Very yeah. Often. My dad was, you know, his you opinion of Detroit of was not. <laughs> you know, I remember I would go to shows at St. Andrews Hall and uh, my parents really thought that place was in Ann Arbor. I would just not. I would just What's say St. It was Andrew's in Ann Arbor. What St. Is Andrew's Hall is a it's a musical venue in Detroit. Uh, it's an old church. Oh, OK. That uh, is just empty. Is this like an iconic, like a place that people like punk rock shows? Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. I saw, you know, uh Earth crisis there. I Whoa, think was my first heavy <laughs> stuff. Wow, I didn't know you had that sort of. I was of on a date with a boy. Yeah, that's some real, uh, you know, romantic. It was or real not romantic loud. Music. Yeah, not romantic at not all. Not at all. Yeah, not at all. Wow. But you know, kind of dangerous. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. Um, because it was in Detroit. Well, and the music it itself. I mean, that's like you know. Yeah, the fans are rude. You're taking a, you're, you know, you're taking your date to Earth crisis. You know, you're gonna. I'm not going to get into that, but maybe, you know, that I don't know. That's a lot we could. Anyway, so you're in Detroit for how long then? So we were we were not in Detroit. I just want to be very oh, Canton, clear. We whatever. were in Canton. Canton. Uh, the closest I got to Detroit with my parents' knowledge was I would lifeguard in Livonia, Michigan. Uh-huh. Um, so these are like the formative years, 12, 13, yeah, 14, so 15, 16. Yeah, we stayed there. I was there through high school and then I went to college in Ann Arbor. Oh, um, yeah, okay. And my parents then moved, promptly moved away to Alaska. Um, okay, okay. But I stayed in Michigan. So I was in Michigan a long time. Ann Arbor is really pretty and nice. It's a nice college. Like, you enjoyed it there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I I almost was going to move there and get a job there. I was looking at the uh, university hospital there or whatever. Um, 
That's the um, blue and uh, gold color, right? Yeah, maize and blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maize and blue. Yeah. yeah. And that's like a really good school, too. That's like a public ivy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, now, what impact did you think your dad being a uh, police officer, well, not a police officer, FBI, mm-hmm. that's pretty serious stuff because, you know, the FBI is like, you watch TV and there's like always... Um, you know, there's always like the scene in the movie where like the local cops are handling the case, and, and then the it FBI becomes Fred, and they're like, yeah. "This is our, this is our turf now," and yeah. they like kick him out, and you'll be like, "That's what my dad does," or were you like, you know, were you like, "Yeah, my dad's hard ass." Yeah, I mean, I was always very proud of my father's work, right? And and you know, it always seemed kind of important and yeah, special. Yeah. Um, you know, but you don't really like in middle school. You don't talk about that. Um, yeah, right. It's hard to get dates sometimes. Oh, he okay. had lots of guns, and yeah, he was. Uh, Oh, he, yeah, my dad, my dad, uh, so I was definitely proud of my dad. I thought it was cool because it was like a noble, Mm -hmm. it was a noble profession as well as, um, it would upset this. I mean, going back to the class thing, like it was always upsetting when uh, like other people's dads, I don't even know what they did. They were in some business and they they could make a lot more money. And I'm like, well, my dad's a, my dad's a police officer and he does important stuff, which he didn't, but it was like, I don't know. It was like, my parents were kind of cheap and stuff, but looking back, they didn't really, you know, whatever. Like, my mom worked at the grocery store as well. But, anyways. Oh, so that's interesting. My mom also worked, like, retail. Low level. Yeah. She worked at Toys R Us. Yeah. So, um, did, uh, yeah, and my dad shot guns, but he's, he's not, he's, I don't know, maybe he's getting worse with the gun. He's not a gun nut. Like, he has, like, an old World War One gun. Mm. Um, and actually, he's super about gun safety, where he'll, um, we went shooting, m- my wife and I went shooting with him. And he brought um, plastic bullets just to say, this is how you load the, gu- the bullets in. You oh, know? interesting. Yeah, like he's like, never point the gu- The gun always points at the firing range. You never even point the gun. Yeah. Not loaded. It's nothing's in it. He's like, it always points that way. Right. Like he's real into that stuff. You, you don't know? get in front of a gun. Exactly. Um, but I, uh, you know, and it, but it never crossed my mind to um, want to do that. Did you, was, was there any influence for you in like, the FBI, like this seems kind of cool. I spent, uh, I did one day, I, I took photography classes in high school and I did one day with the forensic photographer um, where I went into work with my father and hung out with the forensic photographer uh-huh. and like worked in the lab and I just kind of got a glimpse of some of the photos that she took and I was not interested. What, why? What was it? Was it like dead and bodies? It's a lot of crime stuff? scene stuff. Oh, right? yeah. And it's just, it's either violent or it's squalid and neither yeah. of those you know, I don't want to spend my time in that. And, yeah. you know, y- my dad was always kind of angry about the work, right? See, my dad, total opposite. I think my dad, he loved it, and it was a, um, I don't think he probably dealt with, I mean, he saw ugly stuff, but probably not as bad as the stuff your dad was doing. I mean, I'm not sure. Was he still doing the banking stuff up in... Uh no, he was on the Violent Crimes Task Force unit. Oh, so good Lord. Well, that's Jesus. Kind of, it's like going to war, Violent right? Violent crimes. Yeah, so it was murders, it was rapes, it was, you know... He oh was also on the God. SWAT team, so he did a lot of entries, and that's like direct conflict with violent criminals. And You know, I'm going to forget this thought, so I want to ask it real quick. Mm-hmm. Does he know that guy that does that TV show where his boy was abducted? No, America's, America's Most, Most Wanted? Wanted. Yeah, you know that guy. I don't think so. Because if he was in the FBI and you know ter- uh, violent crimes. Or yeah, I don't. I don't think it works that way. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to ask that. Yeah, I mean, a he was a he was an agent. He wasn't a you know, spe- a special agent in charge. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, so, 
Do you think he had a, uh, that's a very uh, heavy type of work, like they have in TV where there's like a psychologist that's like on task, like, no. what's your dad's name, John? Jim. Jim's like, Jim, come in for your therapy session. You just saw four women raped and butchered up. Like, you gotta, you can't bottle that up, Jim. Yeah, I think, I think the answer to that is no. I think that agents don't have room to talk about what's hard about the work. I think that if you get labeled a head case, which is how oh, you would actually talk about it, yeah, yeah, you get yeah. pulled and you put on desk duty. And like, I'm sad that I just saw this horrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you're a wimp. Like, tough it up. You're a head case. I mean, but if you think about it, right, this is like the same thing in the military, right? I don't want to say that my father's got issues with, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I see. Health, hey, I'm a, I'm a registered nurse. I see horrible things. I see people die. I mean, it's definitely not on the level. Of, it's not. It's different, though. It's, I think, think it's a lot different. Yeah. People being violent to each other. Yeah, that's right? very disturbing. And, and it's got to uh, get yeah, to you. Yeah, that 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 is. Um, you're seeing literally the worst in humanity. Yeah. Yeah, and so maybe he like. Yeah, my dad is. I guess in the sa- probably the same way. Um, he didn't guide you to do the work. Like, hey, you should. You know, this is something you want to do. Yeah, no, my dad actually talked, I remember him, distinctly remember him talking both my brothers out of joining the military. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, yeah that's you know, interesting. So, and never really talked to me about whether or not I wanted to be a, a cop or not, because I was never inclined. Yeah, you never f- showed a lot of interest in that or were... Uh, yeah. Okay. So, fast forward, you go to college, and then, okay, let's be honest, you want to basically undo all the work that your father did. That's how he saw it, yeah. But those debates... Hold on, we got to... Let's... Uh, those debates started in high school. Would start in high school. Okay, so we got to back up here because what Erin did in college was she really got interested in prisons, prison reform, how... Abolition. Ab- prison abolition, um, how messed up the whole incarceration issue is. I imagine there was discussion of private prisons and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually did some work in college as well with um, Seduxo and um, CCA, Corrections Corporation of America. And, and divestment. And, and yep. divestment, yeah. I, we did stuff like that. for. But but you were really uh, involved. In, and, and how did that... St- like, what? where does that come from? You're saying in high school. In high school, oh my God, I was... I was yeah. um, Oh, man. I, I mean, I remember having conversations in high school and they always centered around this question of like, were people fundamentally good or were people fundamentally evil? Is this right? a religious question? Where, why are you no, asking No, just those? like a morality question. In so high school or with your father around the dinner table? In high school table? with my father around the dinner table. Okay. Like during that time frame in my life, but in the setting of at home. Because my dad says this too. People are, like he'll say, people are evil. Like, does he yeah. do that? He's yeah. like, Paul, there are evil. It's, it's there are evil bad people. incarnate or there something like that. Yeah, Good guys and bad guys. Yeah, okay. And I think my position has always been, you know, that, that people do bad things and make bad decisions. And I think that there are circumstances that are within our control yeah. that allow folks to make more good decisions and less bad decisions. Yeah. Or more bad decisions and fewer good decisions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and the work that I do now is about how do we have good jobs so mm-hmm. that folks have more options yep. so they don't yeah. make bad decisions. Uh, certainly. Um, you know, from the beginning of their lives to the end of their lives. Right. Um, but at the time, you know, not having all of that kind of analysis and it was just kind of a struggle, you know, a nightly struggle over the dinner table. Like <laughs> now I have a lot more perspective about what he was dealing with every day and how how his opinions. Well, are why formed. why were you pushing back on this? Like, was there is this just like the um, 
the young, like I, I've definitely done, I, I upset my parents. Just like, you know, I'm just going to take an opposite position and push back. You know, I think it was, I really just didn't love the idea that I was going to grow up and inherit a world where people were fun. There were some people who were just unsavable. And, uh, oh, and he was bringing that, like to, the, he's bringing that thought to you reg- regularly. Yeah, there's just some people who are evil, some people who. And that didn't, that didn't, s- that didn't sit with you well. You're like, no, I don't like that thought. That, yeah. uh, you know, why? Why, why couldn't you accept that as like a thing? Because it just seems kind of hopeless, right? If there's, if there's people who are just fundamentally evil in this world, then they're always going to win because they're not making decisions from the same frame that I'm making decisions. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can. Uh... And I also just don't think it's true, right? Because I would see people up all, all around me. Um, you know, I had friends who were doing drugs, dealing drugs, right, right. and they weren't going to go to jail. And they weren't, you know, I had a friend who right. DUI, wrecked his car. He didn't go to jail. No punishment. His dad was a lawyer. And you're like, he's, and uh, I okay, thought to I myself, think this is, yeah, yeah. You know, that kid is not risking anything. Right. Like there's no precipitous fall where he his life is now unsalvageable. You know, I screwed up. Right. right. And you figure it out and you get to move on. Right. But that wasn't true for young people who didn't have resources. You know, this is one of the reasons why I do pick a bone with my father because I got underage drinking and my dad did not lift a finger. To, to get me out of it. But I will say this. Uh, we were talking about this earlier. This little bit aside. I had to do 20 hours community service. I did it at this baseball park. I had to do all this raking and sh- shoveling and stuff like that. I hit a triple in one of the games. And the guy running. No joke. The guy running my community service. He was like also involved in the community. He said one hour less on your community service. Very True nice. story. Very so nice. I got. Yeah. I think at that point I only had like uh, seven hours to go or something. So I did a six hour day. But anyways. Um, no. I can see that. When you're seeing people that. Are, it's like. They're not getting punished the way. You know the rules. The rules sort of don't apply to Just them. Just a different set of rules. It, it starts to question the whole. Whatever the system. Or you're like wait a minute here. This doesn't. Uh, some people are getting screwed and others aren't. That doesn't seem fair. That upsets me. Right. Yeah. Um, and so you're bringing this to the dinner table. Um, this is what you're 15, 16, 17, probably yeah, 17. 16, yeah, yeah. 15, 16. And how yeah. does this play out? Like Aaron, y- you don't understand here. You know, one day you'll understand, you know, I hope when, you know, they, I, it would get dramatic. It would get dramatic. And, yeah. And I think looking back, thinking about the pressure he was under and the daily kind of risk that he you know he's on the SWAT team he was the SWAT team Jesus so you know and I was probably more impertinent than I remember yeah right yeah yeah you're probably being pretty you know we've debated before yeah yeah you can get you can get bombastic or whatever you want to (laughs) say um who who among us yeah and so okay so then you go to college and um you start to do what was the organization you were involved in like this was a academic thing or was this like an activist thing yeah it was a PCAP it was a little bit of both there were some uh courses that I took uh, that led me to an activist group called the Prison Creative Arts Project. Okay. Um, and the courses were, you know, I remember it was a particular, it was a total accident that I ended up in this class. It was just an English 300 class. And the professor, Buzz Alexander, um, part of the component of the class was the reading, but then the field work, there was field work, which mm-hmm. was interesting to me, was teaching um, workshops, literature, art, drama in prisons. Good Lord, that's, you know, I could see your dad not being happy about that. Yeah, I didn't tell him about it. 
at first. Yeah. There was a yeah. lot of not talking about it. Be, well, this is funny because um, this is the same thing position my dad took whenever I was in Catholic school. When I was in like second or third grade, every year around Christmas time, I don't know why we did this, but we would write Christmas cards to prisoners. Mm. I mean, and, um, you know, it was, uh, my dad was like, you're not doing that. So I was like exempted from doing that. Isn't that weird? That is weird. Like everyone in the class would be like, Merry Christmas. I hope you're, you know, Jesus loved you or whatever. And I like didn't do it. I don't know what I did. I just, you know. Because they're criminals and they. My dad was like, they're bad. Yeah. You know, and my dad's a super people. nice guy. He's like, you don't like, I think he's thinking like child molesters and stuff. And who knows? Maybe that's where they were going. I thinking about it. That's probably what it was. These mm. little kids. And then he just, you know, I don't know. He didn't want Paul. Put, I, we put my name on it somehow because I'm an idiot. I'm a little kid. And then all of a sudden they're coming to rape me or something. Maybe it was my dad being overprotective. But so you're doing this prison uh, arts. How was that? Like, did you meet anybody when you're when you're going? You went into a prison and you were like teaching them like yeah, uh, I, I ended up doing Charlotte about, Bronte or what? How did that? I ended up doing about um, six different workshops, uh, a couple of art, mostly writing and some drama. I did a few in juvenile correction facilities and mostly in men's high security prisons. Good Lord. What was a workshop? Like, what does that entail? So uh, it would depend on the the medium. So the drama workshop would result in a play God, yeah. that they would write kind of a, you know, Teatro Campesino style way of creating a play. Wow. So we were reading. So we were, you know, reading about uh the People's Theater. We were reading Paulo Freire. Oh my God! Uh, we were <laughs> really thinking about kind yeah. of humanization through expression and what does it mean to be locked up and what does it mean to, you know, the art wasn't great. It wasn't. Yeah. You know, some of it was amazing, but most of it was fine. Yeah, yeah. Or less bad, than fine, yeah. or bad. Um, and the poetry wasn't, for the most part, amazing. Um, and the thing that was most interesting about it was the unique experience to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Were they appreciative of that? Like, or was it just like, whatever, I'll do this thing. Here's this young I think it was girl a from privilege. college. It was like, a oh, thank God I get to get out of my room yeah. and do this thing. It was a privilege to be there. Um, and the guys were, and I only worked with men, but the men were very protective of it. That they were very protective of their time. They were always on time. Mm -hmm. And they stayed to the end. And if somebody wasn't involved or was involved in a way that was not helpful and threatened the experience for the rest of them, they would police that. That is very interesting. So you take these people that are, um, see, I would think that um, these are people that are in prison that are a bunch of jerks and stuff like that and whatever they deserve to be there. So they're going to be stupid in that little meeting thing. That's what I would think. Weren't you surprised by that? I don't know that I was. I mean, we did a lot of preparation. I mean, you had expectations different than what I just said, though, too. Yeah, I think I spent a lot of time, you know, and I, I did uh, most of my workshops in the end. I did most of my workshops in Ionia, which is about an hour and a half drive uh, from Ann Arbor. So I drove an hour and a half there and an hour and a half back to do a two-hour workshop. So I had a lot of time to think yeah, about it. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, and those were writing workshops. And it was the same group, and I worked with them for... And these are people that, what did they do to get in prison? Murdered. I, I was on a position. I wasn't asking folks that question. I know, but do you know? Like, did your no. professors tell you? Like, y you're. Is it nonviolent drug offenders in that place? I mean, probably no. not. These are people that probably murdered or do some bad stuff. Yeah, I mean, there was Rape, a guy murder. who. 
I didn't know his real name. His name was Crazy, and he was clearly a biker. There were a couple of bikers in that Nazi one, Nazi symbols? I never... I don't remember seeing any Michigan Nazi Michigan militia? I mean, Michigan militia is a whole other story. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they've ever been in prison, too. They're like, people like them. I don't know. I remember one guy wrote his... Young guy, young guy named Patrick, who wrote his story, which was very long. He wrote his story, and it was about closer to the mic, and was about murdering uh, a friend's brother. Good and, lord! Uh, it was about. It was weird. It was like a confessional almost. Wow, that would have been heavy. I would have um, loved to see that. I may have it somewhere. He mailed it to me afterward. They, I got a lot of mail. I got a lot of mail. Um, to the college under my name. I got a lot of mail. Nobody ever right, right, had right. my address. But right. um, th- I remember Patrick writing this story, and it struck me that the the story had this kind of like desperation about it, that he and his friend were poor, and uh, the implication was that they were abused, and they wanted to run away. But to run away, they needed the friend's brother's van. Yeah. And the only way that they could think to get the van was to kill him. That was the only way to do it. And right. So there's a lot there. And then but the that's like the first page oh of the God, story. Yeah. And the next ten pages of the story is this panicked running. And I mean, they're almost like an, like the way he writes it, he's like an animal. Yeah. Just literally running away. Because yeah. he's done this terrible thing and that he I'm can't uh, take yeah. back and he knows that he's done it and that's just the way it is. And now he's in jail for the rest of his life. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. That's so terrible. That's the only guy who I really knew what he did. The rest of the folks, I wasn't asking. It was not important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 What was important to me. And I was very safe and, you know, in a very safe. Well, that's sort of what I was I maybe getting to. Did you feel a little bit like, uh, you know, you got a lot of guys in there. A young, beautiful woman comes in like that type of deal. So, like again, I think it was about establishing trust. There was always a guard in the very close right. vicinity. And I think that, again, you, you start from a place of respect. And they appreciated this time so much. It sounds like for, for, for they, they enjoyed it so much that it was like maybe the biggest jerk in the room was like, no, this is we got to be respectful here. Yeah. This is a privilege. Yeah. All right, that's pretty cool. So um, let's jump back to did you ever kind of f- fully, you know, tell your father like you did this thing and stuff? Or what did he or did you just like, well, I did this kind of thing. Was he ever upset by it? I mean, at this point, you're an adult, so it's like, who gives a who gives a shit? But you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think we we would talk about it every now and then, and you know, he was clearly kind of hurt by it. But you know, my response to that was my theory on this whole thing was that the only way to change people's behavior is to give them some humanity, right, or help them find their humanity. Yeah. Right. So the the reason that people commit violent crimes is because they don't have some like their humanity right they I, yeah I, I believe i agree i think that makes sense they don't see the humanity in other people they can't see the humanity in themselves they don't have hope they don't have options and so if art if literacy if art, uh, if if drama if being able to tell your story and be in a space where you're just recognized as a human being makes a difference then what that actually allows it's actually working on the same problem which is people hurting other people, yeah. but from a different angle. And I'm never going to be a person who carries a gun and stops people from hurting each other. But on the other end, can I be a person that stops that from ever happening in the first place? I'll tell you what, you're very wise. I mean, how did you come... I, I got stopped thinking about what you were saying there about... Um, uh, 
Well, I, I'm so uh, overwhelmed by what you just said. Where in the heck did these thoughts come from? Like, did, what was your your parents loved you, mm-hmm. right? You had lovely. Like, yeah. I, I I definitely had uh, a yeah. good upbringing as well. Um, I, I sort of want to make a joke about this, but I mean, I'm I'm actually being deadly serious. Like, was your was this like a? Did you have religion in your life? Because um, I, I find that interesting that you had this very deep and I would say correct um, humanistic view. Where do you think that came from? Like, did you have, were you at church or? You know, we did go to church when I was little. We were Southern Baptist, which yeah. is not a forgiving place. No. Um, you know, Jesus forgives, but the church will not forget. Um, you know, shunning people for getting divorced kind of thing. You know, talking yeah, yeah. women into staying into abusive relationships. Yeah. You know, so I don't think that's really a nurturing place. I mean, my mother is a beautiful person who just believes in people. Is it um, like the golden rule type thing? I was raised Catholic. Absolutely. And um, the only thing I remember from Catholicism is uh, the golden rule. That was really, I actually feel very lucky because I like, when the public school and the private school and the, my Catholic school would mix, they always did better. The, pu- the public school kids did better because of CCD. They like had to like learn the Catholic mm. stuff and we were supposed to know it better, but we didn't. We were just mm. like, we're in a Catholic school, whatever. And I was like, I don't know who the saints are or what Jesus did or whatever. CCD is what? Catechism? Is that what Yeah, that it's for public school kids. Okay. But um, I do uh, chalk up some of my, I think, moral beliefs or whatever from my ca- Catholic upbringing. Um, basically the golden rule. You know, be nice to turn the other cheek, be nice person. But and you're talking about something at a pretty deep level of, um, uh, you know, um, the, the, this like inhumane treatment because people are put in terrible situations and I don't like that. I want to sort of play a role in um, alle- alleviating that or somehow being on the other end. Interrupting of, it. Yeah, right? yeah. It's, it's a cycle of dehumanization, right? So it, if you can interrupt that cycle... And, you know, think about what we're doing now, right? We've got 2.7 million people in jail yes, in this country yeah, today. Yeah. 2.7 million. That's not 2.7 million people who have been in jail. No, Currently we imprison more people than any other country, yeah. And where are the jails located? Right? So they're located in mostly in rural America yeah. where there used to be a factory, a mine, a mill, yep, yep. a textile factory, whatever. Now it's a it's a publicly maybe privately owned prison where we're imprisoning a disproportionate amount of minorities right and the people who are guarding them right so like we've got this cycle of like rural white men guarding large minority populations sorry for for interrupting you there we had a little technical difficulty but yeah you're talking about you know the deindustrialized america basically you had all these factories and good decent jobs now we're imprisoning the, the underclass disproportionately black and um, it's a lot of decent upper, not upper class, but middle class, upper working, working class, class, working class, yeah, jobs for some folks. And uh, so the the dehumanization that happens there. So there's the people in jail, right, who mm-hmm. are in prison, who are you know just by their existence are being dehumanized, right. Then there's the folks that guard them, right, the men and women who go to work every day. It gets spit on and punched and, and all that stuff. And the structure yeah. is all about power. Oh it's yeah. All about you know, taking things away or restricting someone in some way. And that's how you control. That's how you're safe. That's how you live your life. So what does that mean to do kind of a life sentence in eight hour shifts or 12 hour shifts? And what do you take home every day as a result of that? So there's the kind of daily dehumanization of working poor people in these rural settings. And then there's the, you know, generational dehumanization 
of a lot of men, some women, a lot of men, mostly people of color, who we then send back to their communities, and then we get angry that they can't be productive. Right. Now, now let me let me play the devil's advocate here. Now, are you now you said you were thought prison abolition. Um, now, uh, what does that look like? I mean, it's unhar- It's it's pretty hard to just stop. Right, so we've got 2.7 million people in prisons. Can you just open gates and let people go? Well, they're doing that a little bit in California because they're over flooded. Right, so there's this financially. Thank God, it's now a financially unstable, unsustainable right. system, <laughs> right. so that the we have to think about the alternatives. Un- the uh, nonviolent drug offender. It's like okay, we right. can't. So, what are the alternatives? Right, what are the alternatives for nonviolent drug offenders? What are the alternatives for young people to again interrupt a cycle? Right, like we can't. We have damaged a significant right. portion of this country and the the healing of that is going to take twice as long as it took to damage oh it. certainly yeah so i think it's about it's about schools it's about um like social work like i think like almost like it's about workforce development yeah. it's about schools it's about a, a reinvestment and we can't throw away people and we can't throw away neighborhoods and we can't throw away whole generations which is what we're doing now well, I think about um, you can think of like uh, you know black people in the inner city, and you can think about what I'm actually thinking about in terms of people being thrown away. Is have you ever seen that um, documentary about the wild, wonderful whites of West Virginia? I think I'm throwing too many wilds and wonderful in there. I haven't, but but it um, sounds amazing. It's a Johnny Knoxville. Um, it's a Johnny Knoxville. His production company did it. Can I just be? Can I just go back? It's not about inner city. You know, I think. With what I would say is that the prison population is disproportionately people of color, but even more disproportionately poor. Yeah, it's poor people. Yeah. Right. So poor people go to jail. Right. And well, yeah, and it's disproportional. Yeah. So, anyways, this documentary shows these people that are, um, they're hillbillies or whatever you want to call them, call them, and they scam the. They all say they're on disability, and they sell, um, you know, oxycotton and stuff like that, and it sort of makes light at them. I mean, then people get murdered, bad stuff happens, but. Um, the why I'm talking about this is like these people it's like they cannot function like these people are not going to be productive like there's no jobs around in that area there's mm. nothing those people can do one guy leaves and goes to Michigan and he he's kind of like a drunk but he becomes a painter and he has like a family and he's kind of like a working class guy that he's like got out of there he like he works he doesn't just do pills and all that stuff and it's like these people in this documentary are totally like superfluous. They're just, who cares what they do? They're just out there. Um, you know, they don't function at all. They couldn't function. Like you wouldn't want them. You could say uh, a conservative view, like these people need to work. It's like, you would not want these work people where? working. I mean, but yeah. even let's say they weren't. So let's talk about this, right? Because the only the education level is, is so horrendous. So yeah. education is one thing, but it's also true that, that, jobs don't pay anymore oh right, right 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 we used to say crime don't pay right and th- the truth is that jobs don't pay so right. what is the job that you get oh yeah there's no options for these people you the only option is them selling pills and all that stuff and they they the way they scam them and stuff that's the way they're able to make ends meet um it is it just is more so feasible. i don't know about this like you know I, I don't know about this documentary but what i would say is that the average person who lives in a poor neighborhood whether it's a rural poor neighborhood or an urban poor neighborhood that your like your vision for what is possible is pretty limited oh certainly yeah, because certainly. it's not that you can go and get a job at the grocery store and make it while you go to community college no no right 
Because to work full time at the grocery store, you're still only five hundred dollars above poverty. Right, right. No. So there's this class element that you uh, did. You develop that later on, or was this sort of something that you had like? Uh, yeah, I would say that was later on. I would say that in college, I was pretty limited to the, the race argument. That well, and also it sounds like it. W- I heard more of like the humanistic sort of element of just like the just like the barbarity of the situation. Yeah, it sounded to me like yeah. that was like the main passion driver, and then. And I think my 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 anger about it, right? Because it's you know, I'm a pretty angry person. My yeah. anger about it was around just the injustice around the race issue. You're like, why are these black people in jail? And or the, the class issue came later. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Now I think that is a great segue because what's wrong with a great story with Andy Dufresne <laughs> heading to Mexico and Morgan Freeman getting that little pile of money? Under a rock. Under a rock that has no business, no business belonging being there. there. Yeah. Um, it's so funny you want to talk about this. Uh, I remember the first time we talked about this. Okay, you, so... You um, were shocked. So I'll t- let me just... You sit there and grant, gain your composure. We just had a heavy talk. But I'll tell you what. I um, There's certain things that I like in this world. Um, and when I get depressed and sad, sometimes what I like to do is... Uh, I'm admitting this to everyone now. And you should try it. Is I like to YouTube videos of puppies. Okay, <laughs> I think it's cute. I don't know why, but it just makes me feel better. That's great. And and um, it's just like putting on a nice warm blanket. Okay, and um, and I also like to watch dumb. Well, I'm not gonna say dumb, but just like kind of mind numbing things that I can just not think. Mm. There's Law and Orders were like that for me. Um, I used to. They're always on TNT or USA, or whatever. Big I, Lebowski is one for me. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. That's a little avant-garde, but that's still a little good one. Um, and uh, yeah, that is a good one. I should maybe throw that in there. But um, you know, I I've seen so many Law and Orders, but I still I I don't remember this one really. I don't know what happens because I'm barely paying attention. You know. Right. Shawshank Redemption is like that warm, snuggly blanket that you just throw around yourself and you say. Then Andy's going to, you know, fix this, and he's going to get them a bottle of beer. They're going to drink it. He's going to play the music then. Then he's going to get that evil warden. He's going to do the library. He's, You know what I mean? He's it all, and so you, angry. You know it's happening. You've seen it. It's going to ha- but you love it. You love With how the poster and the, the poster behind and it. he throws the rock, and that evil warden's like, what shit. the hell? Yeah, and then he has the little bar of soap, and... um. He that's yeah going back the rock and he hits it through so the water you know the the, sh- the shit comes out, um, and uh, uh, it's just a wonderful story. Andy Dufresne is an innocent man, um, and Morgan Freeman is a great uh, a great friend. Not an innocent man. Not, Not an innocent man. The only guilty man at Shawshank. Yeah, and he um, he. So do you want to do? Are you so, done so waxing yeah, yeah, poetic? Yeah, I'm wa- yeah, I'm done. So, so just to g- for our listeners, I uh, when I met Aaron ten years ago, I said, "Oh, I just love that movie." And she we were driving through rural Ohio, and you said, "You know what this place reminds me of? Oh God, this reminds me of <laughs> Shawshank Redemption." And I, um, yeah, and she nearly uh, bit my head off, and I was like, "Whoa!" I could not believe what yeah. you're going to hear it right yeah. now, folks. Okay, so go. So I really. Thoroughly dislike this movie. I thoroughly, I think it's dangerous. Dangerous. I think that it is, uh, it is, it is so, it, and you, you've asked me not to use some of my stronger language. Okay. Uh, I, I thoroughly dislike this movie. I feel very passionate about 
about this movie. And uh, the fact that it's a warm blanket that people can snuggle up with yeah. is actually one of the things that I think is so dangerous about it. And I like this angle that you're taking. Yes. No offense to Stephen King. I actually haven't read the book. So oh, I didn't even know it was a Stephen who King. Who knows? Who knows? But it's in the category for me with Green Mile, right? Which is another kind of institutional... Uh, there's, you know, you got the magic Negro character. No, I can see that. I yeah. can see your where you're. Uh, you know, so we got to lay out your argument because I can see you with that one. Yeah. But we got to let the so audience. So let's talk know. about Shawshank. So Andy Dufresne is a is a white man, middle class white man, well educated. Uh, his wife is, if I remember, and I haven't, I have not seen it since college. Um, she gets murdered somehow. I don't know. She's what. cheating on him. Yeah. He discovers yeah, yeah. that he that she's cheating on him, and she and her lover are murdered. And he is convicted of the murder on, you know... Flimsy, just because yeah. it's like he's the husband and they did so a it's shitty... it's like the you know. 50s and, you know, there's no forensic evidence and, you yeah. know, there's no CSI. And so he gets convicted. Yeah. And he's put away for, like, you know, longer than any man could live through it. Like yeah. Like, two life sentences. Life, yeah, right? whatever, yeah. All right, back-to-back life sentences, something like that. So he goes to this jail. And he's not supposed to be there. He's an innocent man. He's... You know, he's he's just it's fish out of water. Right. And, he and in the movie, we don't know if he's innocent until later on. We do find out that he is. Right. At the, later, at, at later begin, we find out that he at is. the beginning, we're like, he's he might be guilty. And what's interesting about it is it's a very much a first person narrative. Right. And so the the way that it's shot, the way that it's written, you as the viewer identify with Andy Dufresne. Yes. And, and you very much kind of put yourself in that situation. Yeah, he's the guy through your scene in the film. What would movie. I do? Yeah. What would I do the whole time? So it feels like an injustice. Like you don't know that he's innocent. Right, that's a good point. You don't know that he's innocent, but you feel like you're, you're on his side from the get-go. Yeah, he's definitely the hero. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, and so Andy Dufresne goes to jail, and he's brutalized in the way that kind of is every, I would say, every white man's fear. He's raped. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. And, uh, you know, Sleepers, they did this in Sleepers. They I've did this in a couple movie. of yeah, different prison yeah. movies where, you know, so. The horrible uh, stuff, yeah. So Andy Dufresne is raped repeatedly in the jail. And the thing that saves him is his intellect, right? He, I forget what it is. Is he like an accountant or something? Yeah, so he's really smart. So he starts doing the taxes for all the um, the prison guards. So he right. kind of gets right. to be the teacher's pet. And right. then he gets some liberties that other people don't get. Right. He does the he, he does the warden's taxes. He right. get then he gets them to build a library. But then he starts cooking the books for the warden, and he basically yeah. And he he civilizes the people in the jail, right? He brings them books. He brings them opera. He like I think he gets in trouble for the opera thing, but he brings them yeah. civilization into this jail where yeah. they didn't have yeah. it exactly. And you know he's the only innocent man in jail. The way and you're saying it, it's almost like he's a superhero. Right, because yeah. the viewer is supposed to see them. And so in the context of, I think at the time, so it came out in the 90s, so let's say there were 2 million people in jail yeah. in the time. So in the context of, you know, who, and it is at the tail end of the crack epidemic where people, like the, the increasing minorities in yeah, jail, that yeah. had all come to fruition. Yeah. Increased mandatory minimums. Yeah. So three strikes and your outlaws were in, in place. Right. So again, a, a lot of minorities, certainly all private poor prisons people, are expanding. All that private stuff too. prisons yeah. are expanding. The idea that in that context, a film comes out where a white man can project himself into prison as an innocent person who's gonna 
you know, get by on your intellect. What would you do? He actually escapes from the jail and he saves his, you know, his Morgan Freeman, the yeah, voice yeah. of God, you know, name yeah, the black guy, the black man yeah. who the only guilty man yeah. in Shawshank um, that he, that they save each other and flee to Mexico is irresponsible. That's what the yard word you use, by the way. It is irresponsible. Ten years ago, but it um, is irresponsible. It is, um, and it is a fantasy that again allows people to say the reason I'm not in jail is because I'm Andy Dufresne. I'm innocent. What I love about this argument, which um, I'm not sure I agree with it, but at the time I definitely disagreed with it. Back, you back were horrified then, by me. Was um, your yeah. big and you're saying it right now. The biggest issue you had was that it was be- in the context of this. This film is being made and this comes out that is bad. It's irresponsible. And that really, I like that position because it really makes me think like, well, is it the responsibility to take into light the context of the times? And, um, but isn't it like if we were, you know, in the context of the Vietnam War making a film that. I don't, I don't. I can't even think of an analogy. Right. right. You're ju- yeah. Some crazy scenario that was the opposite thing. of what was happening. It's a very serious thing that's happening, right? Where we are increasing, and we still are, right? We still are increasing, ever increasing our our, and it allows you to kind of ignore the reality of why people are actually in jail. Okay, but here, here's my, here's a little bit of my issue with this, and um, you have a very political job, you know. So you know, and you, you know, it's a hard job you do. Does everything have to be political? I think that if it's a not a political film, then it shouldn't be set in a jail because incarceration at this point in this country is political. Unless it was like a slapstick or something, right? Or, or if it was like totally crazy, like an Elvis movie. I don't. I don't know. I'm just trying to think. Like you're like saying like off limits. If it's in a jail, you've got to be have the right political line or something close to it. I think it's hard to. Because this was not a comedy. This oh, was no, a no, drama. Certainly. No, it was drama. You know, you also... You this was up for Best let's, Picture, Let's I think. think about this. Let's think about this movie, right? So in the 50s, he's in jail, and it's fully integrated. There's, like, no racial tension right. in this jail at right. all. Right, I know. Right? There's this weird, idealized thing going on in this jail. It's classless. It's raceless. Yeah. We're so just supposed to pretend that race and class don't exist. And just in the context of the reality of jail, either in the 50s or today, that is just irresponsible i think you change yeah i i think that's a great point i do i do see that as a it's perpetuating a myth that is harmful for america it it just (laughs) allows yeah and it allows people to believe that um we live in this fantasy world and it actually um yeah if anything you know, I think at the time I said, like, well, what's up in New England? Maybe the racial, you know, maybe the prisons were more. I, 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 isn't it up in New England? I forget. I don't, I think it was shot in Ohio. Well, I know it was shot in Ohio. Yeah, it was like. Oh, I'm sure it's set in Maine because yeah, it's yeah, Stephen yeah. King. I'm yeah. sure it's set in Maine. But um, there just aren't that many black people in Maine. I do think, um, I do think, though, I like this idea that it's because it's perpetuating a, a bad myth. I like how you want me to be right, but you don't agree with me at the same time. Well, here's the problem. Here is the problem with everything you're saying. It's like I, I, I'm a man of contradictions, as many mm. people say. Mm-hmm. It is a great story. Mm. It is a wonderful story. And um, let me just, from my own, I saw a movie once about, uh, I think, The Case of David Gale. 
or was it was a movie about this guy that was um I was a little bit of an anti death penalty activist. Mm-hmm. And um it was this terrible movie. It was, it was an elaborate hoax that they um they got this innocent guy to be executed. It was like on tape. And it was a, it was the whole point of it because he was dying. Mm. So like, oh well we'll actually make it look like I killed you. Um, and then we'll let you go. Even though, no, she was like dying of cancer or something like that. So she killed herself and then he was sick himself anyways. So it was just to like point a hole in the system. And it's like, that's not, you don't need to tell that story to say that the death penalty is messed up. Like that was the, pro- that's when I got really amped about that. Mm. Um, so I know what you mean. But I don't think you need to set a, a story like that story, that kind of like buddy overcoming, yeah. you know, the triumph of the human existence in a prison, right? And I don't think you need to like it could be a, like that could have been like a, you could have made it in like a Nazi war camp or something. It would have been totally fine. Like that same thing could have been done, you know, some fantasy. Or just a, a poor town, you know, it yeah. could have been a college ball field, yeah. right? There are, there are so many kind of buddy settings that are not fundamentally based but the in prison, lies but the prison um th- but these are th- people are fascinated with um what would i do in a prison i mean the bridge over the r- river kwai have you it ever seen allows, that film it allows the viewer to dabble it's a fantasy that's exactly what the point it of it allows is. the viewer to dabble in something which is very real and very serious and not at all something which is engineered for folks to overcome and have a triumph of human existence have you seen the bridge over the river kwai i have not it's a great, great film. It's probably one of the best films ever made. But it's the same type of thing. You know, these are war crimin- These are war captives in um, World War II. Um, I forget where it is. Anyways, but you're seeing, you're having this fantasy. What would I do if I was the prisoners of war? Yeah, whatever I said. Um, and so that's what that's what's so fun. The Dirty Dozen is like. This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- you're in this. Um, Titanic is like this, right? There's this huge disaster. What would I do? Yeah, How would I react? Little, yeah, yeah. And and that's that's what's fun because it's like you're on the adventure. It's like you're on this roller coaster with Andy Dufresne. That's what's so great about it. Um, and you know it's going to be a great ending too. You know what's happening, but you're because he's not supposed to be there because he's a middle class white man with an education. Because you're not supposed to be there. Because he's not supposed to be there because he didn't kill his wife. You're that's what the truth is. But you're saying a bit this creator because he's a middle class white guy. But the viewer gets to say, if I was ever in jail, which I won't be, right? This is how I would get out because I'm so smart and I would figure out how to get out. Like you know that rock that shouldn't be there yeah right yeah right that andy dufresne shouldn't be there yeah now have you seen a prison film that you have said like oh that's okay they sort of get it right or so dancer in the dark is a is a film it's you're gonna laugh at me it's a very independent film with bjork i've seen it it's horrifying I could never watch it again. It's horrifying. I could never watch it again. It actually, I draining. It's a draining. I, it, it really did kind of affect me in a <laughs> no way. Kidding. I could never see it again. It's one of those. One of those. Um, you know what? And that's a good point. You're ma- you're making my point for me. What? That a film that's about prison is is if it's real, it, well, you it, can't it, even it, watch it. You know, it. I can't watch like Schindler's List or something like that, or the. Fe- I can't watch something that's going to be a draining. I mean, it's real. It's like, oh, good lord. But if you can't think about prison, then don't think about prison. If you can't engage in such a serious issue without actually engaging with it, then don't. 
I think I'm somewhat convinced by your uh, by your um, by your point. Like I don't, I did not watch American History X, for example. Oh, I did that not, was like that. Well, right. I did your, not watch American History X. And, and no, were, because it was about like, Nazi violence and you know people kicking each other in the face with boots. And oh, what right, I right, know right. is that Nazi violence is not anything that I want to dabble in. Right, right, right. Like if somebody made a film that was kind of a buddy movie about going into the Aryan gang and then getting out of it. I don't know that I would see that. There was interesting political discussions that movie, though. That are, but I know what you're saying. I, I, I feel you. I, I agree. I it's mean, actually a serious film about a serious issue. Yeah, and yeah, I feel yeah. like prison is a serious issue. The prison industrial complex is a serious issue. And we shouldn't make a buddy film what about if we it. D- <laughs> I don't know if it's a buddy film. But how about this? What if there was a... Oh, this is such a fantasy. Like, What if there was like an hour-long discussion before the movie and said, look, this is a fantasy. This is stereotyping a bunch of myths, but I'll tell you what, it's a good movie. It's fun, but this people, isn't how it works. People should watch Shawshank Redemption. People should also have this conversation about Shawshank That's Redemption. what I'm saying. What if we did this, you and me, and we re-released it on DVD and Blu-ray? And this was the commentary and this track PRC that nobody watched? Show, no, but it was on. It was forced. It was like, you know, Clockwork Orange, where you got to have, we'd have to keep their ears open or whatever. Um... Would it then be okay? Would I'm not saying that the Shawshank Redemption shouldn't be made. I'm not saying that people shouldn't watch it. I'm just saying whenever I'm in a conversation about it, I'm going to bring some. Well, you to did it. say it's irresponsible. You it basically irresponsible. saying, in your opinion, it shouldn't be made. It should. It should not have been made. It's I mean, bad. This is America. You make a film. You make a film. Right. Right. You make a film. But I. I like your position. Don't. Don't backtrack it's bad for it's bad for society to make irresponsible films i do think that i, I mean, there are irresponsible films that get made every day there are films that objectify women there are yeah. films that you know apologize for rape there are films the, the, that t- the tv show bones is an abomination uh, an abomination and shouldn't have it should not I've be never made seen it. of course you have self-respect that show should not be made and if I was, you know what, and I should be the minister of culture after, so, you know. But we live in America, so I think what right, we fine, can do, fine. what I will never do, is allow someone in my car, in my home, in my space, right. say to me, man, that's Shawshank Redemption. Okay, I want to wrap this up here. Did you, do you think, was there any, can, could you ever get past any of the, any of the stuff you have with the film and kind of say like... It was a good film. I mean, I think you. I guess you could because you could see like, oh, so this is so good that it's up, it upsets me even more because it's like pulling the wool over people's eyes type of thing. I mean, so there were some actual interesting things that happened in that film, right, that actually are helpful. Uh, you know, there's the, the guy who gets out and can't integrate back into the world because he's just used to jail. Yeah, that was a good, yeah, And there this you was go. a good, right, so so helpful. That's a right? one thing, and, yeah. And I think that happens with the Morgan Freeman character. He's where he a little bit, yeah, yeah. He get back in and he just can't do it and he thinks about maybe committing So you'll give credit where credit is due on that point. You know, I think it does, um, you know, the, the I, I remember some of the brutality of the corrections officers yeah. and like that's in there, right? Right. So, I mean, it's not, and again, this is like there's there's enough in there that's good that people don't feel like they're watching a complete fantasy or complete right, right. They, they make it realistic. You're like, yeah, that's probably how it goes. But that, frankly, to your point, is what makes it dangerous. Right. Okay. I see that. Yeah. Well, um, I think we had a great discussion, and um, <laughs> we are going to let the uh, the listeners decide. The they can e- email the show at prcshow at gmail dot com. Um, show at gmail.com um, any other points that you wanted to add about uh, prison Shawshank Redemption do you want to apologize for anything apologize no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we all know the answer okay well um, we uh, appreciate 
do we want to say like thank you to the correction officers of America or anything like that? Of course, of course. No, I think it's a hard job. Actually, it, it's one of the saddest points. Yeah. It's the dehumanization of folks actually working. And I see them a lot in my work because I take care of prisoners often and the guards have to come in and those people are dehumanized. There's no bones about it. I mean, it's, uh, it's sad. So, okay. Well, thank you, Aaron, for coming on the show and uh, hopefully we'll have you back some other time. PRC Show. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PRC Show or follow us on Tumblr at prcshow.tumblr.com. All of these episodes can be found at soundcloud.com slash PRC Show. Your host is Paul Robert Cooley Jr. Technological consultant, sound design, host curation, and music production is also by Paul Robert Cooley. Emotional support brought to you by the roommates of Salvador and Kate G. Executive producers Josh Ferris. All labors donated. Thanks for listening.